Okay, so we're on 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 40, which will be page 1149. I think I'll be so exhausted from the activity day that they've forgotten there's other activities. So we're in 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to be starting at verse 25. Yeah, that looks like the same as that one. Right. And as uh, Richard introduced, this is um, concerning the unmarried. Now, if you are married or plan to get married, you probably should just listen anyway. You never know. (laughs) So, let's start off with verse 25. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think this is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pleasure, woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. For those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that all the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn if they do not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from that concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, that man should also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that too, have the, Holy, uh, have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, John, for stepping in. And uh, let's pray, shall we, as we come to look at that passage together. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, speaking to us in the Scriptures. We pray, dear Lord God, that as we listen to the Apostle Paul this morning, uh, that you would be giving us hearts to discern what's right for us and how to encourage one another in living for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
So uh, Paul slightly stole my introduction, um, but let's see who was paying attention at the start of our time together. Um, who can tell me what the special day was on Tuesday this past week? Um, what were we marking, some of us? I can see that some of you know. Um, uh, the 14th of February. Uh, for most people these days is not um, uh, usually used to remember the 4th century Christian martyr, Valentine, uh, but it's a day for soppy romantic cards and messages and presents. And um, romantic love has its place, of course, but in a world that has mostly pushed God aside, it's no wonder that for many people, romantic relationships have kind of expanded to fill that void. And it can be easy to assume that that is the normal and right pattern for the kids. I know that uh, for the younger ones, the whole idea of love and marriage can seem horrible uh, when you're younger. Uh, but as you grow up, everyone assumes that you'll find the one and enjoy a fairy tale wedding and live happily ever after. But that's not normally how it works. Actually, lots of people who want to meet the one never do. And many who thought they had met the one have second thoughts. They find that marriage is a lot harder than they assumed it would be. Let's get some hard-headed reality from the Apostle Paul in the clearest teaching in the whole Bible, actually, about marriage and especially singleness. Paul's basic message is the same message that we heard last week and which actually has been underpinning this whole chapter of 1 Corinthians. The message is, stay as you are. Stay as you are. Just look down at the first few um, lines that, Paul, uh, that John read for us. We're on page 1149 in the Church Bibles. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 7 from verse 25. Now about virgins, he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Verse 26, he says, because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. Stay as you are, is the basic message. As we said last week, we can spend so much time and energy trying to change our circumstances now, but the real priority in life is to grow in godliness and serve the Lord just as we are right now. If you're married, stay married. If you're not married, don't be obsessed with looking for a spouse. Grow in godliness and serve the Lord, whatever your circumstances now. I want us to see, before we get into the detail, that Paul is unusually tentative in what he says in this section. Did you notice that as John read for us? Verse 25, he says about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Verse 26, he says, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. And we see similar kind of comments as we go through. His message is stay as you are, but in verse 28 he says, but if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. 
In fact, in a later letter in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns against those who forbid people to marry. So this isn't a straightforward issue of godly obedience. He's not setting out rules here. This is an area for wisdom, for weighing up carefully what's right for each individual and in each different circumstance. So we need to be wise and careful in how we read Paul's teaching here. On the one hand, we don't want to be legalistic where he's careful to say it's not a matter of sin. On the other hand, we do want to weigh his reasoning carefully and apply it thoughtfully to our lives and not just disregard it because it's not a matter of um, uh, black and white, right and wrong. So if it's not a matter of sin and godliness, why does Paul express a preference, as he does here, for people to stay unmarried? Well, he tells us in verse 28. He says, if you do marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But, he says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Over the next couple of paragraphs, he spells out what he means. He breaks it into two things. He says, stay as you are, first of all, because the time is short. Because the time is short. He's already referred in verse 26 to the present crisis. And now he expands on that. Verse 29, he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. That last line, I think, is the key to what he's saying here. This world, in its present form, is passing away. The Christian knows that because Jesus Christ has come once already, it's only a matter of time before he comes back to judge the world and to bring about his wonderful, eternal new creation. This world is not all there is. Our circumstances here and now are not forever. And they're not the be all and end all. It can feel that way, especially when you're young, can't it? I distinctly remember um, when I was uh, much younger, I was booked to go on a trip to the island of Jersey with the Sea Scouts. And I was looking forward to it so much. And I distinctly remember at the time, it must have been a few months before I was booked to go, I was so looking forward to it. And I remember saying to myself, I suppose the years after the trip probably will be many, many more than the time I've got to look forward to it now. And I'll probably look back on it from many years to come. But right now, I can't imagine that. Right now, all I can do is look forward to it. I kind of knew that I would have that perspective um, later on. As you get older, um, we get a bit more of a sense of perspective. We realise that this world is passing away. And so the things of this world need to gain their relative 
importance, the perspective. Of course, Paul doesn't literally mean that those who are married should live as if they weren't. We know that because he's already told us at the start of the chapter what the responsibilities of a husband are to their wife and a wife to their husband. We do have responsibilities. We can't live as if we weren't married. But what he means is that the marriage is not the be-all and end-all. It's a passing thing. And it has only relative importance in this present age. We like to think that finding the one and getting married will mean we live happily ever after. But you know, there's no marriage in heaven. Our marriages in this life are just tasters in advance. They're just pointing ahead to the eternal marriage of Christ and his bride, the church, that will last forever. If this world is passing away, it's actually good to be free from its troubles. And that's what Paul speaks about next. He says, stay as you are, because the time is short, but also stay as you are to be free from concern. And that's the next paragraph, verse 32 onwards. Just have a look down. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Verse 35, he brings it together. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now again, remember that this is wisdom and not obedience. It's not that single people are necessarily better Christians, keener Christians, but Paul wants us to be realistic about marriage and about staying unmarried. With marriage, not to mention if we're blessed with children, that all comes with extra responsibilities and worries. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says that whoever does not provide for his own family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's an important responsibility that mustn't be shirked. At least an implication of this teaching is that if we do marry, our spouse should be someone who encourages and shares our devotion to the Lord and helps us serve him rather than pulling in a different direction. It's easy to think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. For a single person, maybe marriage looks amazing. Maybe we married people try to make it look that way. Um, We share only what we want people to see. But the reality is different. If you're not married, maybe you would love to be married as an answer to to, to loneliness. But there's no greater loneliness than being in an unhappy marriage. Maybe you think your financial security will be so much better if you're married and have two incomes. But what when you find out you have very different attitudes to money? 
You might have all sorts of reasons why you long to be married. But actually marriage often doesn't turn out to be the answer. Maybe Paul has in mind here Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Are you looking, are you searching or longing for something from a husband or a wife? that ultimately only comes from the Lord. The pursuit of a spouse can become such an overriding obsession that it takes us away from the Lord. I can think of people who have hopped around from church to church and as you watch their behaviour you realise that actually their controlling passion is not for the Lord but for finding a spouse. And that passion is not just dividing their attention from the Lord. It's actively destructive to their Christian health and service. So stay as you are, advises Paul, because the time is short and to be free from concern. I hope that all of this might go some way to levelling up the way we look at singleness and at marriage. It can be so easy, especially if you haven't been married, to think that the married life is some kind of utopia. Those of us who are married need to take some responsibility for that. Without being disloyal to our spouses, let's show some honesty about the struggles and the downsides to marriage. And let's not talk about marriage especially to our single brothers and sisters, as if marriage is normal and expected and best for everyone. I'm sure I'm not the only one who needs to retrain my thinking and what I say to make sure I don't imply that everyone will get married or pursue marriage. Paul wants us to consider seriously the possibility that remaining unmarried would be better. Singleness is not second best. So then, when is it right to marry? Paul has been really clear that it's not a sin to marry. We mustn't forbid marriage, even though it's often better to stay unmarried. And he closes this chapter and actually this whole little section in 1 Corinthians on marriage and singleness and relationships and so on with two little case studies. He talks about a man and a woman. First, the situation where it's right for a man to marry. Verse 36. He says, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. It is right and good to get married. If you're in a relationship, and you're taking things too far. We saw a couple of weeks ago, if you're not controlling yourselves, maybe you've been in a sexual relationship for some time, in those circumstances, it may be better just to get married. A wedding doesn't need to be expensive. You don't have to have a long engagement. Just regularise the relationship that already exists. However, however, verse 37 
But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Now the word right here is a little bit confusing. Uh, We saw it as well back up in verse 35. Um, Right to us suggests a matter of right and wrong. But actually the Greek word is kalos, which we've met already in the chapter as meaning good. It's not a matter of right and wrong, it's just good. We we met this word in verse 1 of the whole chapter. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So it's good to make up your mind to live a single and celibate life. There might be someone that you were expected to marry. They're expecting you to marry them. Everyone else is expecting it. In some cultures, it may be that your family arranged a marriage partner for you. In Western culture, maybe it's someone that you've been dating for a while and everyone assumes that you'll end up married. But if you make up your mind not to marry them, but to remain single and celibate, that is a good thing. In this instance, it is good to marry, but Paul says it's better not to marry. The second case study concerns a woman. If she's already married, verse 39 repeats the lesson from earlier in the chapter that she should stay married as long as she possibly can. We looked a few weeks ago at some of the exceptions, some of the hard cases, uh, but the general rule is stay married. But if the husband dies, says Paul, the widow is free to marry anyone she wishes so long as it's another Christian. Notice that for Christians, there should never be such a thing as forced marriage. For both the man and the woman, it's emphasized that they need to make up their own minds. There's a place for taking advice from others, of course, but ultimately it has to be your own decision. So the widow is free to remarry. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul actually encourages younger widows to remarry. It emphasizes that so much depends on circumstances. He gives good reasons there why it can be better for younger widows to remarry. But in general, without those specific circumstances, he thinks that again she's happier, she's more blessed, literally, to stay as she is. I wonder whether we really believe this. Whether it's the soppiness of Valentine's Day or the idealism even of Christian marriages, we find it hard to believe that it can be better to stay single. But Paul is concerned to offer wisdom for what's best for the individuals concerned. Again, verse 28 we've seen already. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this, he says. I want to spare you the troubles of marriage. Verse 35, he says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Verse 40, in my judgment, she is happier. She's more blessed if she stays as she is. 
Let's be level-headed and realistic. Don't believe the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. That you need to change your circumstances in order to be really happy and in order uh, to live the Christian life. Our general rule in this passing world is that we should stay as we are. This world is not all there is. And even in this world, marriage comes with a lot of problems of its own. There may be circumstances where it is good and right to marry, and we don't sin if we do so. But a godly commitment to singleness may well be better. If you're considering marriage, can you ask the advice of godly Christian friends, both married and single? Can you ask for their prayers that you'll weigh up the possibilities wisely? And for each one of us, we need to sit light to our circumstances now. We need to know that this world is passing away and we need to seek the Lord and his kingdom regardless of what the future will hold. Let's pray now, shall we? Let's pray. The Apostle says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Our Father God, we thank you for the wisdom uh, that you've given us, especially in the pages of Scripture. We pray, our Father, as we wrestle with this difficult and countercultural teaching, that we would understand where it applies and how it applies to our individual circumstances now. Please give us the wisdom and the love to encourage one another, whatever our circumstances, to live for the Lord Jesus. Amen.